The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, meet with us this morning as we gather together. Help us to hear what you would have us hear. Help us to respond in ways that are transformative. Help us to listen well. Help us to know that you see us and know us in all of our beauty and all of our brokenness and your response is always to move towards us, to heal, restore, and renew. Meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now I have a friend who's five foot six, he has an inseam of 26 inches. He has the arms the length of a man who is six foot five. His thighs are like the trunks of a redwood. And he tells me that he was a state champion wrestler while in high school many years ago. He also told me all those measurements, just so you know. I asked him what made him such a good wrestler. And he said, well, you couldn't really grab my legs for starters, he would say. I'm so low to the ground, uh, but with my long arms, I could spend the first part of the match just toying. And he makes this motion with his arms, toying with my opponent, reaching out to slap them or push them. And they couldn't get near me. They would try to dive for my legs and they, they just, I just deflect and they couldn't grab them anyway. That would exhaust them while I was just playing with them. They would just get entirely exhausted and then I'd make my move and I'd pin them. And that was that. Can't you just see that whole scenario? I think Jesus, in many ways, in this particular parable and this passage, is toying with his audience, and then he takes them down. Maybe better put, he gives them an invitation to freedom. Freedom from pretending. Freedom from the made-up nonsense that has become their life question. Is Jesus here? I mean, you read this, it's a little bit jarring because on one hand you might think, is Jesus trying to play the game of social climbing? I mean, does that sound like Jesus to you? It doesn't sound like Jesus to me. It looks like Jesus is giving us like this killer advice if we want to make sure we get a place of honor. The best way to attain it is not through, not just claiming it on our own, since someone might put us um, in our, our place, and then we will look bad. But the best way to attain a place of honor is to claim the lower place 
that you deserve, than you deserve, so that then folks might see how humble you are and then insist that you take a place of higher honor. Genius strategy on how to use false modesty to climb the social ladder. I'm thinking that's the real issue here, the real message that Jesus wants us to hear. How to be better social climbers. Of course, that's absurd. That's not what Jesus is trying to teach us here. It can't be. I mean, just listen to that sentence. Jesus was obsessed with social climbing. I don't think so. I don't think he was really impressed by that. It's hard for you to even say that with a straight face. It's comical if it wasn't so true, but not of Jesus, but of us. It's what we do, of human beings in general. We are all playing the game to one degree or another. Seems to me that Jesus came to set us free from that game. So what is he up to in this story? Well, the meal table and the throwing of banquets then and now are just arenas with such within which people negotiated and competed for social status. It was also a site of intense scrutiny. Um, Jesus was being closely examined by the Pharisees. We see that in verse 1. Um, they were always scrutinizing Jesus. The more his ministry went along, the higher the scrutiny became. And here they want to see what his table manners might reveal about him. I spent a week on this part of our text, and I think I was saved by the mention that this is a parable, and that he told it, quote, no, after he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor. It's important to know that that's in response to that. Then it occurred to me that Jesus is just showing us how ridiculous the way we arrange the world really is with all of our jockeying for social status and position and honor. It's like Jesus went to all of our Facebook and Instagram posts and said, you know, this isn't really telling the whole truth about you, is it? Jesus is on to us. He's toying with his audience of people watching him closely. He often misbehaves when invited to dinner. Maybe he's participating momentarily in the customs and social arrangements, all of them just to one degree or another, to reveal them as well unjust on one hand and silly games meant to keep us all in this comparison game that's exhausting us, that's wounding our souls. When we pretend, that's what happens. We really just do so much pretending. We pretend that we don't rely a little too much on alcohol. We pretend that we are more confident than we really are. We pretend that we care more about people than we really do. We pretend that we're not afraid when we might be actually terrified of ourselves and of the world we're living in. Richard Rohr puts it this way. He said, our culture is almost entirely, our culture is almost entirely prepared to not just help you create your false self, but to get very identified with it and attached to it. So without some form of God experience, which teaches you who you are apart from that, there's almost no way to get out of it. You know, when Torelli and I raised our children, basically from 1990 to 2016, so when I say raising our children, I'm talking about them graduating from high school because you're always a parent, as we know. But um, when we raised our kids, during that particular time frame, there were probably about 10 changes to technology in terms of how you videotaped 
or recorded, as I said earlier, videotaped, as you recorded um, your children. You know, that all these different sizes of cassettes. And, you know, if, at one point I had like all 10 of them and I had no way to play any of them. And so I put them all in a box and I sent them to this place called iMemories in Arizona. And they sent back and they didn't send anything back. They sent that stuff back in a box, but they'd sent me a link. And I can now go onto a website and look at 320 home videos. Crazy. Among those videos is also some videos taken of our very first worship services here back in 1997. And um, one of them is from March the 2nd. That would have been our third worship service ever. And I remember March the 2nd. I remember that day. I remember that particular third service because we had almost no one show up. Um, I had had just a terrible day that day previous to the service itself and I had and actually had a pretty severe anxiety attack that day. So I was really a mess. I was barely holding it together. But what I noticed on the tape is that I looked calm, cool, and collected, like everything is great. We fake it until we make it. That's what we do. We pretend. Sometimes we even overcompensate so much about the things we're trying to hide that no one ever really suspects the truth about us. And then we're left in the aloneness of not ever really being known, being known for real in the midst of our anxiety or depression or, or whatever we're challenge, challenges we're facing. So this practice of curating parts of the self that we want people to see is something that we do to some degree all the time. We so carefully create a persona and it's only a partial truth and just maintaining it can be exhausting. So on social media, we curate an image of ourselves from just the parts of our lives and personalities that we wish to project to others. I mean, just think, I don't see a lot of social media posts that say, hey, I just manipulated my spouse to get my own way. Or I just, I just exaggerated a story to make myself look better because I don't feel very good about myself. I feel like a fraud. And we don't see that kind of honesty. <laughs> I just dropped a subtle hint that I might be available to someone, even though you're married. Or I just spent my last two paychecks on my gambling addiction. Or everyone thinks I'm successful, but I've never really accomplished anything. I mean, we don't say those kinds of things. No, we're always pretending. None of us want a light shined on the games that we play. None of us want to be exposed. All of us pretend based in a fear of being really known, of being truly seen, because there's a wound or a vulnerable place that we have to protect, so we keep up appearances. In some ways, this text is Jesus finding all the unflattering photos of where we are a complete mess, and he just keeps tagging us. The truth will set us free, someone once said, but it might make us miserable first. I don't know about you, but I'm experiencing a weird kind of exhaustion right now coming out of this pandemic. I saw an Instagram post by a comic artist by the name of Yumi Sakugawa, and she said, while the outside world rushes to move on, the experience of the pandemic has yet to fully leave my body. Parts of my body, my mind, my spirit are all trapped in the limbo of pandemic despair, pandemic depression, pandemic numbness, pandemic survival. I will not be pressured 
to move at the breakneck speed of capitalism that wants to forget everything. I will remind myself as often as I can to move at the pace of my own healing and be attuned to my own slow and tender needs. I love that phrase, the pace of my own healing. We don't move at the pace of our own healing. When we are frantically climbing the status ladder, we instead move at the pace of exhaustion from all the pretending. The exhaustion of making our careers just one more way in which we play the social status and social climbing game. To continue our game of pride-filled drivenness that leads us into conflict and destructiveness as all of life becomes a game for us of winners and losers. Values, integrity, fidelity all end up being expendable as success, victory, or popularity become the ends that justify any means. So what do we do? I know, you just can't go blow up every dinner party the way that Jesus tends to do. He misbehaves badly at meals, y'all. Just have to read those stories in the New Testament. He gets around a meal and you never know what he's going to do. Not sure you want him over for dinner. But we can begin the work of easing out of whatever social customs and systems that are put in place to keep everyone in their place. Like human beings made in the image of God are to have a place to live. There's another way forward. Here's what I think. The only real love to be found in the world is to be found when you're truly known. When you're truly known. Nobody in this little parable Jesus tells is known and therefore nobody is loved. In the 2000 film, Almost Famous, tells the story of a young man who finds himself as a reporter on a tour with a famous rock band. His conversation with an older reporter at the end of the film is getting at this thing that we're talking about in this sermon. The young man laments that he tried to be cool and that he actually felt almost cool with all the rock stars, even though he knew he wasn't. And the older reporter looks at him and says, look, I've met you, you're not cool. <laughs> and then says, but the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what we share with someone else when we're uncool. The only currency in this bankrupt world is what we share with someone else when we're uncool, when we don't have it all together. In other words, when we're ourselves. And then in verse 11, we have kind of a bridge of sorts. Jesus is, has toyed with them. The guard is down. And then he lays this on them. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Talk about a conversation buzzkill. I mean, everybody in this story is trying to exalt themselves. And so we might say that Jesus just did kind of a takedown. But I want us to see it as an invitation an invitation to a different way of being in the world. Jesus then tells them to rearrange their guest list by not inviting people who can pay you back. Put it another way, Jesus was saying, don't use your wealth and privilege to leverage others so that they will be beholden to pay you back. Quid pro quo be damned. 
Life is not about I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Jesus is inviting us into something better than transactional relationships. He gives us a new kind of banquet to throw. He says, invite the poor. Invite the person with disabilities, the lame, the blind. He's clearly doing a number of things here. He's also saying, by using these categories, he's saying, invite those who are outcasts. Invite those whose daily existence is being debated. Invite those who every day is a challenge to live because of the way we treat them. Invite the transgender persons, the black and brown skinned persons, the economically marginalized persons, the lonely ones who don't make good conversation, the smelly, the difficult to understand, the ones who will never repay you a thing. Invite them to your banquet so you can listen, so that you can learn, so that you can empathize, to rescue you from your narcissism to show you a new way of being in the world, a way of dependence and helplessness and powerlessness. To know that God, to show you that God, as Robert Farrakhan says, emphatically does not promise to meet only the odd winner of the self-improvement lottery. God meets us in all our endless and inescapable losing. Or as Jesus put it elsewhere, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Debbie Thomas, commenting on this passage, said this, ignore the pecking order or worse, upend it. Don't network, don't schmooze, don't brown nose. Open my heart and home to people who can do nothing for me, people I have no affinity for, people I can't impress, earn favors from, or show off to my competition. Why on earth should I do that? Because Jesus insists on it. Because this is who God is, the great reverser of our priorities, our hierarchies, and our values because there's no end to the game of who is in and who is out. And God in his wisdom knows that our anxious scramble for greatness will lead to nothing but more anxiety, more suspicion, more loneliness, more hatred, and more devastation. Because God's kingdom is not a kingdom of scarcity, it is one of abundance, where all are already welcome, already loved, already cherished. Because the currency of that kingdom is humility, not arrogance, generosity, not stinginess, hospitality, and not fear. Prioritize the the unimpressive. And then maybe you will be set free from your need to be impressive. And in fact, to change your entire definition of what impressive is in the first place. You to apply this one more way here. Let's look inward for just a moment. Imagine the poor, disabled, lame, and blind parts of yourself. You know them all. All the imperfections, the bad decisions, the guilt, the shame. Imagine not needing to cultivate a persona to hide or overcompensate for those uncool parts of ourselves. In other words, the uncool parts of ourselves is exactly what Jesus invites us to bring around his table. Imagine a community of people sharing the uncool parts of themselves with God and each other and to know the relief of acceptance, of love. 
Imagine God saying to you right now, you can bring all of that to my table and you will be loved. No need to pretend or overcompensate or be shrewd. You can just be. Nothing to prove, nothing to protect. I am who I am and it's enough. Can you see that that is an actual path of liberation? And in just being you, you can, in the fierce and loving eyes of God, be known completely. Be whole and maybe even rest a little. Because pretending is exhausting. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us today to believe these things, that we could actually have this new way of being in the world. Give us grace to have courage to live into this new way of being in the world, where we're not constantly playing the game of pretending. Help us to know that we can bring all parts of ourselves to you and that we can live our whole lives under your loving gaze. Give us grace to see that. May it be so for each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come now to a time of offering, um, I just want to remind everyone that we are still on the catch-up mode with our budget. Um, we are um, behind still, but we're making good progress because of people like you. Um, we need um, recurring automated givers. If we raise the level of those, we will meet our budget, and it's starting to happen. So I invite you into that if you're not doing that yet. And if you're able to make a generous one-time gift here in the midst of the summer, that also would be fantastic because we have until the end of August to meet this. We can do it if we do it together. You'll get more updates from me in the coming weeks on this as the summer progresses. But for now, we invite you into the joy of giving uh, to City Church. And so we're going to pray a prayer like we do every week that everything that's given in this offering will be given, to, will we go towards the mission and vision of our work here in the city. Let us pray. Fill us, good Lord, with your spirit of love. And as you have fed us with the one bread of heaven, so make us one in heart and mind. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.